Welcome to Unbroken Jars. I'm Doug. And I'm Randy. And this is a podcast where we explore individuals' real-life stories and real faith. You're listening to Unbroken Jars, Episode 10, A Real-Life Faith. The light of Jesus shines through the darkness, and we carry this light in unbroken jars of clay. We have a life and a story about our faith journey, but we're not struck down or destroyed. Our stories shine the light on Jesus and His power. Our faith walk has forever been shaped by the life of one man, Jesus. Jesus continues to use real-life stories of those around us to mold us. We dive into this world by investigating, interviewing, and walking alongside real people who share their stories, their faith stories of struggle, sin, joy, and victory, and how God is leading them will help shape your faith journey in unbroken jars of clay. Today we're excited. Uh, we have our guest in, in conversation today. It's Micah Cobb. He's a friend of mine. Thanks for joining us, Micah. Thanks for having me. And for the sake of those who are maybe are listening today and maybe not do not know Micah, uh, Micah Cobb currently serves as the campus minister at the Auburn Christian Student Center on the campus of Auburn University in Auburn, Alabama. He has served there in that role since June of 2014. Uh, Micah is himself a graduate of Auburn University, graduating with a BA in philosophy. He earned his MA in philosophy from the University of Mississippi. And while he was at Ole Miss, he was a campus uh, ministry apprentice for the Rebels for Christ. After completing his studies at Ole Miss, he served with the Hilltoppers for Christ campus ministry in Bowling Green, Kentucky. Uh, Micah is married to Katie Tarode Cobb. They've been married since May of 2005, and they have three children, Jude, Owen and Ada Kate. Uh, last summer, we had invited Micah to be a part of a family summer series at Mayfair, and he was going to speak on the topic of a real life faith, but uh, blame it on COVID, we had to cancel the series. So, uh, I've known Micah. I was I was thinking about this, Micah. I don't. I, I honestly can't remember how long we've known us. Maybe maybe ten years. I don't know. Something yeah, like that. Oh no, it would be because the the, the first Gulf Coast I uh, went to it may, maybe twenty eleven, maybe we met January twenty eleven. So yeah, ten yeah. years. It's it's been a I, while, but uh, we've known each other for a long time. We're actually in a um, a I guess you'd call it a mentor group together. We uh, we get together with a bunch of campus ministers and kind of hang out. So uh, Mike and I are good friends, and uh, you know a lot of people like to watch our interactions because I give Mike a hard time and. He's a pain in the rear a lot of the time. So, uh, uh, and he probably doesn't say about me, but no, Mike, <laughs> Mike and I love each other dearly. I really do consider him one of my, one of my best friends, uh, especially over the last few years as, as we've grown up and, uh, had kids and been able to share a lot of life experiences. So today, one of the things that, um, I want you to kind of lead us into a little bit is I know this is a broad question, so you can narrow it, but a little bit about your faith story growing up. You know, we talked a little bit uh, even earlier about uh, your, your family and your family uh, story a little bit. Um, 
And, and then, you know, I, I do definitely want you to get into your faith journey and how, where that led you into kind of campus ministry and all that. And if you need more direction, feel free to ask, but could you, could you share a little bit about that with us? Well, I, um, so I'm, I'm actually a twin. I have a twin sister and we are the youngest of six kids. And my mom and my dad both had a first marriage and they had two kids from each marriage. And then they, uh, those marriages ended and, and then they met one another in the early eighties, uh, got married, had my twin sister and me. And my father, uh, was, was in his late thirties, um, around that time. And he was not, uh, he wasn't a believer. He was agnostic, but my mother, after her divorce had started going back, going to church at a small, smaller church in the town that we lived in. Um, and, um, so he had to go to, to church with her to, for, you know, her to get serious about marrying him. And, um, so I think it was three years after they were married that he became a, a believer and a Christian and was baptized. And I was, maybe it was four years because I would have been around um, two and a half, three years old. I have a vague, vague memory and maybe it's just reconstructed in my mind from hearing the story of my brother, my older brother, which would be my, you know, my, my dad's stepson, um, baptizing right. my father. Um, and, uh, so my father didn't become a, a Christian until he was 40 and he was a new believer. And, um, in the churches that we grew up in, there were, that I grew up in, there were a lot of splits. Um, and so we bounced around churches. We did a house church for a while, which was really just basically my family. Sometimes another family would join us. Um, and, uh, and so my father had the, the fervor of a new convert. Uh, and, but, um, you know, we, we were in churches that were quite legalistic. I, I tell people, um, when I try to describe the churches in which I grew up that, um, we really never talked about, they were churches of Christ and we never really talked about whether other denominations were going to heaven or not. Cause that was just assumed. We tried to figure out which other churches of Christ were going to go to heaven. You know, and so (laughs) (laughs) yeah, that's about right. Yeah, yeah, and so uh, and we weren't really sure if we could find other ones, and uh, that were you know it was going to be be quite small. And um, we did not believe in the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Um, We were that branch of the Church of Christ, and um, and so I um, I grew up in that. um, You know, never I never really was a part of a youth group. Certainly, none of my friends went to church with me. Actually, I never, pretty much from the time I was would have been like seven or eight years old, I never had a friend uh, within the the Church of the Christ, you know. And um, but I, but um, because of some different issues in my family, my my parents decided to send my twin sister and me to private school, um, to private Christian school when we entered tenth grade. And, um, and so I'd say that when I entered 10th grade, you know, I knew the Bible probably about as well as any other 10th grader because for years we had just done a home church. And so all we did was just like, we sang, we sang one verse of the old rugged cross to check that box because no one, no one's musical in my family. And, uh, right. and then, uh, I don't, we didn't pass the collection tray, uh, amongst the family, but oh, yeah. uh, everything else, yeah, have to we go did. back now and do some. Yeah, so we, four of the five steps were all we could do. Yeah, so they, uh, uh, but we, all we did was just like read the, the Bible, you know, it was just like read it and try to think about what it meant, meant. And so I had read a good bit of the Bible multiple times, well, the New Testament by the time that I was, uh, to enter in 10th grade. But I, I did, I was not a follower of Jesus. Um, 
I had not been baptized. Uh, I, um, I was not sure I really wanted to, to, to do that. Nothing. I was not a rebellious kid, uh, but nothing in my life would have reflected a desire to, to be a disciple of Jesus. And um, one of the good decisions I think that my parents made is they actually um, discouraged baptism at an early age um, because they wanted us. I say good decision, good decision for me. Um, they wanted us to, uh, they had seen a lot of people who had been pressured at, you know, church camp and whatnot to make a hasty decision to follow Jesus that then wasn't replicated later. I mean, wasn't followed through later in their lives. And so, um, so I was, I was a senior in high school and I'll get to that before I was baptized. Um, so earlier on, you know, whenever there was like my friends were getting baptized, they would discourage it, uh, and so 10th, 11th grade, I really wasn't all that interested in being a Christian, you know, kind of just a high school boy. And, uh, and so, um, and when I thought about going to college, you know, I thought about being more part of like a party scene, things like that, um, than I did about being a part of a church or never, you know, not at that time, not thinking about being, I was not thinking about being a minister, but what changed, oddly enough, uh, was I, um, I went to a small Christian school and I played basketball and um, we had a soccer what? team. Basketball? <laughs> yeah, I was very athletic. And uh, <laughs> if you know Micah, he's brilliant, but I would not think of him as athletic. Yeah. Keep going, I'm sorry. No, at this time in my life, I was obsessed with basketball. I tell my people, I tell my boys, they ask about it, my sons, that. For a few years, almost every Saturday, I, my dad would drop me off. My dad's a lawyer, runs his own firm. So he dropped me off at the YMCA on the way to work. And I would play basketball from like 8 a.m. until that evening when he went home. And uh, wow. so I was, yeah, I was not athletic, but I enjoyed it. And uh, but the reason, uh, reason all this is important is our, our soccer team's goalie transferred. And so it was right before the season. And so the coaches – um, this is going to connect, I promise. This is, is leading up to a big, a big, big spiritual moment in my life. Um, the soccer coach is like his best decision, you know, that he could make at the time was we have to go to the basketball team and ask somebody to play goalie because they're the people that have hand-eye coordination, you know, rather than foot-eye coordination like soccer. So they came and they asked me and they asked everybody and I said I would. And so I played soccer that year. Well, my soccer coach was the youth pastor at the Presbyterian church that our school was connected with. And so on the way back from, this is so Church of Christ, right? Like I, I had no interest in following Jesus, but on the way back from a soccer game, I started arguing with him about, uh, about grace, the extent of grace, you know, if you could be forgiven for certain things. And, uh, and I'm very argumentative, so I just knew he was wrong. And, uh, and so he, we met a few times and he said, hey, why don't we just start going to breakfast once a week? And let's study Galatians. And so we did. And, um, and it, it just changed my life because I had never, I was not taught grace. You know, I mean, the, the, um, my, my parents meant, meant well and the churches I went to meant well. But, I mean, it was, it was a legitimate question in the, in the few, like, youth interactions that I had. You know, I can remember so many conversations would end with people trying to decide if, it, literally, this is the question. If you were baptized, pulled out of the parking lot, got T-boned by a semi-truck, 
and you cussed before you uh, died, would you go to heaven? You know, and that was like, no one could really figure that one out because it seemed like you wouldn't, you know, <laughs> <laughs> like in the youth, in, in the few like youth activities I, I went to. And so learning about grace and, and um, the, the, the graciousness of God through Jesus and that, um, that we were not on a um, constantly on the edge of God just kicking us into eternal damnation um, with a change. You know, I would say that the, the view of God I had growing up was that God really made it hard for us to, to figure out what he wanted. And he, he was, had kind of a, you know, itching trigger finger to send us to hell. And that completely, this was the spring of my senior year. Um, no, this would have been the spring of my junior year, but it continued. I tore my ACL. I couldn't play basketball. I couldn't play soccer. Um, but it continued, and I started reading. I started, um, you know, had more conversations with him. And uh, so I made the decision like four weeks before I graduated high school to be baptized. And uh, so that was that was a huge thing for me because it changed my understanding of God uh, to understand more about grace. I decided that this was the Jesus I wanted to follow. And, um, and then that's, uh, yeah, so that, that was a huge turning point for me in my life. Okay. And, and Micah, since you've kind of, you shared your um, kind of how your faith, uh, you made that faith commitment in, in your senior year in high school and you go off to college, you get ready to go off to college. So maybe, Talk a little about how did you end up in full-time ministry? Where did, how did God lead you to that and make that decision? And then this is probably a separate, it is a separate question. Maybe share some, a little bit with our listeners on the ministry at Auburn and what are some of the goals for your ministry and work there on the campus? Yeah, I, I would be glad to. I um, So like I was saying, um, I had converted my, right at the end of my senior year of high school. And so converted, you know, baptized and, Again, I was raised in a Christian home. I just never made the decision to to follow Jesus. The language that our campus ministry has used for decades for this is owning your own faith. A lot of people kind of borrow the faith of their parents or their the parents' faith is on right. loan and we own it. So I'd say I began owning my own faith and uh, the end of high school. And then since that was so close to college, I just I had that that fervor, you know, someone who just made that decision. I had the opportunity to go on a mission trip and to, to Belize with my uncle's church and got an, uh, an opportunity there a few times to teach some lessons from the Bible and some evangelistic lessons and realized I liked that. Um, so I started thinking about missions, ministry, things like that. And, um, uh, but I entered Auburn, uh, the, I'll spare you, you guys all the different journeys with degrees, but I entered Auburn as a physics major. I did not know anybody at Auburn um, other than my roommates who were my um, just friends from actually my basketball team and um, so I, I didn't have any connections with the church here I didn't have any connections with the campus ministry I remember getting some stuff in the mail um, about the campus ministry but I think I threw it away and um, but I did I did show up early on <laughs> and if if any of the listeners know anything about the Auburn Christian Student Center they they know that we have a, a 60, 70, 80 year history of serving college students here at the Auburn Church of Christ and the Auburn Christian Student Center. And um, for 30 years, the minister over that was the was Jim Brinkerhoff. And um, and so I remember showing up and hearing Jim teach, um, and he was starting a series on the Gospel of Mark. 
And I'd never heard anybody teach like him. I'd never heard anybody challenge us to engage Jesus uh, uh, the way that he was challenging us to engage Jesus, what Jesus was saying, the claims that he made upon our lives. And so um, I, I, from very early on, I realized that I wanted to keep hearing him teach about Jesus. Now, I didn't get incredibly socially connected with the Auburn Christian Student Center. My, my first year, my social group was still my friends from high school that had come to Auburn. Um, but I realized that I, um, that, that I wanted to listen to Jim. I wanted to learn from him. I wanted to be like him. And so fairly early on in my time at Auburn, I knew that Jim was going to be, that I wanted Jim to be the role model for my faith and for how I engaged with my faith. And I was still wrestling with what I wanted to do, uh, with my life. Um, I bounced back and forth between physics and pre-med, pre-vet. I mean, none of it makes sense, right? Unless, unless you just know I'm um, ADHD. I have a million different interests and, uh, you know, the newest shiny object is going to attract <laughs> it, right? So I just kept bouncing around. Uh, but, um, but Jim teaching, I would say the most, um, there are several key moments in my, my faith journey. The one was the Bible study with the youth minister Another major one was hearing Jim teach through the Gospel of Mark. And so that year, my faith was just shaped and transformed. And, um, and I knew that I wanted to, however it looked, I wanted to spend my life talking about Jesus to people. And, um, and so that's what began my shift towards ministry. I started meeting with Jim, um, you know, a few times a semester. I was, I was never in the inner circle uh, of, of the leader, of student leadership or anything like that. Um, uh, uh, learned since then through Jim's kids that, uh, and, and if any listeners don't know, Jim passed away at the end of 2013, uh, unexpectedly of, 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 of um, uh, complications from a heart valve replacement he had a decade, actually he'd had while I was a student and then uh, uh, there around 2005 or so. And that's why, how I ended up back at the Auburn Christian Student Center. But anyway, I've learned from his kids since then that they would, they hated seeing me come up to their dad after a Bible study because they knew I was going to keep him there longer than they wanted to stay. <laughs> so, <laughs> but um, I went to lunch with Jim. I talked to him about ministry. I remember at one point telling him that I wanted a job like his and, you know, the God's providence and I ended up getting his, his job. Uh, but um, I, 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 my life was changed so drastically in college. Um, the way I thought about my faith, the way I engaged it. And I realized that we have such a tremendous opportunity with people who are ages 18 through 25 to change the direction of their lives. And Jim always used this illustration of Archimedes lever, you know, Archimedes supposedly said, you know, if he had a lever long enough and a place to stand, he could move the world. And Jim, repeatedly would say that campus ministry was the place he wanted to stand to change the world mm -hmm. with the gospel. And that was a vision that I, I grasped very early on. So I knew by the time I was in my second or third year at college, I knew that I wanted to be connected to campus and making an impact through the gospel. Um, I did take a detour, uh, which is why I have a BA and, a, and an MA in philosophy. I thought I was going to do that by being a philosophy professor. Um, the other big influence in my life was a philosophy professor here at Auburn who is a believer, and um, I've spent tons of time with him, and I still do now that I'm back in Auburn. Um, but so I knew I wanted to impact campus, wanted to be on campuses, wanted to be talking about Jesus, 
Um, and uh, so anyway, so through all that, I, I, I realized ministry was an option. It's a much longer story that I'll spare you about how I got into ministry, but basically while I was doing my master's at Ole Miss, um, they had an opening come up with an apprenticeship, a graduate kind of internship role. And they asked me if I was interested. All The only reason they approached me was that because they knew Auburn's campus ministry was strong. <laughs> so I had attended it. And so they're like, hey, don't you want to intern here? And I did. And that's when I realized I wanted to work in, in ministry. Um, and so really being coming to Auburn and being a part of the ACSC was what changed the direction of my life. It made me realize I wanted to, to serve uh, the kingdom of God primarily around campuses. And the, the ACSC is really a, a special place. Um, we have, um, depending on the year, you know, um, 100 to 250 students back in the day. I mean, they were getting up to, you know, three, 400 students um, and, uh, in, in the 90s. Uh, it, it is a, um, um, you have a lot of people who are coming in who are having their faith being shaped, um, who are, are taking seriously the demands of Jesus and letting that shape the careers they choose, the people they date, marry, letting that uh, shape where they end up living. You know, I have several friends who spent time overseas doing mission work, whether in China or Africa or elsewhere, as a result of, of the vision they got through Auburn's campus ministry. Um, you know, the, 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 um, you asked me about what we, what we, oh, I, this is very important for me to say, I met my wife at the ACSC. So that's, that is another one of the huge and most important life changes. Sure. Um, she is, she's four years older than I am. We hadn't met through any of the ACSC activities, but I was trying to go back to um, Belize for the summer after my freshman year. I had some support raised. I was going to go work with the church there. Um, and, uh, um, and I had to have a third knee surgery and I had to have it that Christmas break. And I was unable to actually, I was supposed to go over Christmas to scout out and set things up and find a place to live. And I couldn't do that because I had to have surgery. So then Belize was off the radar. And a friend of mine um, was going to Brazil with a mission, with a Let's Start Talking team um, uh, um, through the ACSC. And he said, well, since you can't go to Belize, why don't you come to one of our team meetings? So I went, decided to go. And there were two teams formed. And I, went, I was put on the team that my wife, Katie, was on. And that's how we met was actually at the training meetings um, for that. And we started dating shortly after we returned. We weren't allowed to date on the uh, trip. So shortly after we returned, right. started dating and we were married the next year. And uh, I will say that um, I talk fast and I've learned that I, the way I used to say this is that I met my wife on an LST trip. But the first <laughs> time I said it, talking to a group of parents at the ACSC, um, one weekend, they thought I said I met my wife on an LSD trip, <laughs> which is not the case. So anyway, so but the uh, um, going back to to what the ACSC does, um, say a little bit about the ministry. Um, we have students from all over the world um, who come. You know, really two thirds to three fourths are from Church of Christ backgrounds. That changes year to year. Um, we're a we're a chartered student organization with with Auburn University. So we have access to students. We can plan events and advertise them. And so we, we do a weekly Bible study. Um, obviously COVID has messed all this up. We do weekly Bible study. We do retreats. We're part of Gulf Coast Getaway, which Doug and I are both on the board of, um, and spend a lot of time talking about that each year. Um, we do mission trips. Uh, um, we have 
community groups, which are like our version of small groups. We have local service projects. We have discipleship program that operates. Um, we have a staff, uh, uh, a lead staff of, um, including myself, seven people, three interns. My wife's on staff, Mary Brinkerhoff, whose husband was Jim, my predecessor, and Mary's been working with or around the ministry for, um, she probably don't want me to say how long, but it's, it's more than 35 years. Uh, so they, uh, uh, um, and then um, another alumnus uh, work, local alumnus works um, part-time with us too. So we, uh, um, and some, some of the parents uh, who maybe are listening, to, I don't know who all going to be listening to this, but a lot of the interns, children's interns and youth interns and college interns over the last probably 10 or 20 years at Mayfair have been ACSC students. Um, so one of our current interns yeah. is Blair Bailey, who I think has interned for you guys a few times. So anyway, so we have a lot that, that happens, a lot that goes on. We reach out to students through connecting churches, through what Auburn does. We have a very vibrant um, international outreach um, uh, a lot of Chinese students and visiting scholars. And um, so actually we have um, our set, the second biggest group that we work with is a group of uh, Iranian students that we've befriended. So um, we use Transpeak. And so anyway, so we got a lot going on. It's a great ministry. So, Well, so you will, and, and you probably know this, but there will be several people that, Anytime you mention Auburn Christian Student Center, which is the ACSC, which you keep using those initials, but um, the Auburn Christian Student Center is well connected here at Mayfair, as yeah, sure. as as you know, some of our elders have been a part of that. So they were mm-hmm. all the way down through our ministry leaders, not just here at Mayfair, but all around North Alabama. Um, the Auburn Christian mm-hmm. Student Center has made a huge impact in this town. Mm-hmm. Um, because of Jim Brinkerhoff and now even yourself, um, uh, and, and, and the work that's been, been done there. Uh, I know that, uh, Jim made a huge impact on, on your life and, and on mm-hmm. so many, and my brother-in-law's even one of those that would, would tell you immediately that the, the impact that, that Jim had because of his, um, authentic nature and drive toward whatever you do. You're, you're doing it for God, no matter where you are. Um, and so it's that real life faith, right? That was Jim's big thing too, is that he wanted you to take your faith and put it into practice every place you go. You know, and that's one of the reasons where mm-hmm. this whole thing initiated. It, it, this thing didn't initiate as a podcast with you. It initiated with you were supposed to come here and speak for a series Randy's was trying to put together for discipleship. But this goes right into that is this idea of this real life faith. And obviously you're working with these young moldable minds as, as I love this population as well for the same reasons, because we have so much opportunity to pour into them when there's a, an open space, when you get old, like us, we kind of shut down. But um, <laughs> for those listening talk a little bit about this, this idea of real life faith and what that kind of looks like, especially I would say along the minds of these impressionable college students, but, but all the way through. Yeah. Well, um, you know, some of it is, is what I've alluded to in my own life is, um, the, the need for a lot of the students who come in to own their own faith. Um, it, it's, um, youth ministry is important. Um, over and over again, we get great students from great youth ministries, May affairs being one of them and, and uh, one of the main ones, uh, the, uh, um, 
and and so kids come in well formed from youth groups often but there's a vast difference between going to church because your parents are driving you there um going to church because your parents know if you go or not um and coming to college when you're 18 and you know if you sleep in and don't go to church on a sunday morning your parents don't really know um right you know they um they if if you don't really hang out at all with Christians. Your parents don't really know. And it's such the way our culture does it, which I, this is not, I'm not complaining about this, but it's such a stark difference between being a high school senior and being a college freshman. And it's only 10 weeks that separates them. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden you can go to any party you want to, and you can do whatever you want to and have anybody sleeping over or sleep over wherever you want to, or, and no one, no one's really keeping tabs on you. And so suddenly that opens up um, you know, all kinds of questions. Are you going to be part of a Christian community? What kind of Christian community? Um, you know, are you going to be part of a college ministry? Um, what's that going to look like? What are you prioritizing? Are you prioritizing having fun? Are you prioritizing being on mission? Are you prioritizing being somewhere you can get a date? Are you prioritizing somewhere you can, you can find friends? You know, And all those things are forced upon a student all of a sudden. And so one thing we want to do with the students that we connect with is lead them to have to own their own faith. And, and they don't know what it means. Um, you, they, they don't, they've never had to do it for the most part. Um, and uh, um, once they make the decision that they are going to take seriously, that they are disciples of Jesus, then that opens up all kinds of questions for them. What does it mean for your career choices and your degrees, your degree uh, um choice to be determined by that that's a huge one for students we every every three or four years i try to do a series on vocation and what is it what what does it mean what's a christian view of work how do you choose that how do you discern it why does it matter um why why are we here what's the purpose and um you know students have to wrestle with that because a lot of students come in and they, the only thing they have thought about is will they make good money and will they enjoy the job and frankly, a lot of students come in and it's, well, my, my dad, my parents want me to be a doctor. And, you know, since I'm, I'm presuming it's a lot of people in Huntsville that will hear this, a lot of students come in and, and, and they just assume they're from Huntsville, their parents are engineers, they're going to be engineers, you know? And, uh, um, and so that's as far as it's gotten. They've never had anyone talk to them about how their faith should inform that decision. Not that one can't be a doctor or an engineer and be a Christian, um, but, somehow uh, our faith has to inform that. Um, you know, if you're going to, I, I say often, um, you know, so he, here's an interesting thing that most people um, have never heard how the, uh, any kind of Bible teaching on how the, uh, on how we're to view work, but we're going to spend most of our waking hours at work, but we've had no formation in that. And so, and I'm not talking about just college students, uh, most church members right. have it. And so, but the students are at a point in their life where they're making a big decision. If they're going to be a doctor, they really need to decide it now. And so they have to decide why they're going to do what they're going to do and what they're going to do. it. But another area is obviously um, romantic relationships. Right. And, um, you know, to come to a real life faith and own your own faith, you have to start asking, well, how does that inform how I, I, I date and, and uh, how I um, choose somebody to date and how I handle breakups? Um and uh, and, I, and I'm pretty convinced of this that there's no area um, 
there may be as few areas in our um, Christian bubble that we have so thoughtlessly adopted the culture's view as we have of dating. Like basically kids come in and they think they can, they just date like non-Christians would, but just don't have sex, <laughs> you know? Well, that, you know, if you think about that, there's no way that can work, you know? <laughs> like the, the, they've adopted a form of dating that's not geared towards um, helping the person, not, not geared towards guarding their heart. It's not geared towards helping you place re- good boundaries and barriers so that you don't, um, uh, um, you know, uh, have sexual sin. Um, it's not, it's not about guarding the other person's heart and their faith. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so anyway, so people think nothing about that. And so trying to get students to think through um, what does it mean to date as a Christian beyond just don't have sex, you know, cause that's, that's pretty much that I'm not saying, I'm not trying to caricature our youth groups. I'm just saying that's often what a lot of students come in thinking. And then um, one of our goals that we really tried to push the last few years is um, we want our students, the way we say it is that we want them to be a part of an intergenerational community of faith, which is another way of saying church. The problem is, is that a lot of people think they can just come to the ACSC and they have church, right? But one thing we've noticed over the years is that students, people who graduate, no matter how devoted they were to the ACSC, they have they have difficulty connecting when they're 24, 25, 26 to um, to church to church families. And this is my back of the envelope sociology here, you know. But it kind of makes sense if you were raised in the church from the time you were an infant into the time you're 22. If you come to a campus ministry, everything has been geared towards you. you you're within a group of people that are within two to four years of your age. And everything is about what would you enjoy? What Bible lessons do you need to hear? What would bore you? Let's cut that out. What songs do you like to sing? What activities do you like? Um, You know, I mean, everything's geared towards that. And then you're 25 and you're dumped into a young professional ministry if they have one in a church. And and you are, frankly, the least important person in the church ecosystem. (laughs) You're not there for long. You don't give much money. You travel a lot on the weekends because you don't have kids holding you down. Uh, and so churches often, not saying Mayfair, you don't have a great young professional ministry, but churches yes. often don't care about young professionals, <laughs> particularly yeah. if they're not married. And so they have a hard time. So we want to teach people how to healthily be involved uh, in uh, a community of faith. So those are huge things. Let me, let me just add one thing, if that's okay. Uh, I, don't, I don't know where we're on time, but and this is really important for me. And I think this is probably pretty important for Huntsville because don't, Huntsville has what, like the largest concentration of PhDs of any city in the U.S. or something like that. Is that accurate? Yeah. And uh, so Huntsville has a huge concentration of, of intellectuals or nerds, however you want to say it. And, and one thing I've found is yeah. that, um, and I, I would characterize myself as a, as a nerd, you know, uh, is that um, it's really hard to figure out how to own your own faith if you're nerdy because we don't do anything that right. engages the mind. Um, you know, kids are coming and learning all kinds yeah. of uh, high-level stuff, um, but we don't engage their minds. I was just talking to a student the other day, a very, very intelligent student, and was telling him that, look, you've, you've got to make a spiritual practice of engaging sure. all your mental horsepower with your faith. However that looks like, you got to be reading books, you got to think through things. 
because if, if that side is never formed as a Christian, it's going to create huge issues, um, huge issues, whether that's skepticism, um, you know, know, difficulty really believing and connecting with say your prayer life, um, or even just, um, you know, intellectuals have a way of, uh, intellectualizing yeah. their emotional problems. And so then they never really deal with their emotional problems because they've, ne- they ha- they've intellectualized them and not dealt with them, you know, the intellectual connections. So anyway, so with kids that, um, that I kind of see are, are intelligent kids, you know, uh, intellectually curious, I really try to push them towards engaging their faith intellectually, but that's not for everyone. Um, but on a camp- college campus, that's something I find important. <laughs> well, um, mm-hmm. I, I think that a lot of what I've said about college students can apply to any age. Um, you know, the, the magic and the beauty and the stress of college ministry is that all of our life's problems are kind of compressed into four years. <laughs> but sure. that never, that, um, and, uh, um, uh, I shouldn't say compressed because they well, don't end well, there, you but know, you kind of, uh, you kind of hit to with those all of us, which includes me. Uh, and, but they continue in so, college and uh, um, adult years. Jim used to I talk about real life the dangers of compartmentalizing uh, your faith who, to where like your faith was something that had to do with Sunday morning, but not Monday morning. Adults um, living in, and your faith and dealt with how you, now, how you interact with your church family, but not how you interact with work. Doing church and and I'd say that that's church, still something um, that is, is you know, so valuable at any age. What do you say to those? How are you living out the mission of Jesus? Faith, at work, maybe in your neighborhood, in your family. Um, and really, uh, the heart of that is the call um, to to die to ourselves and carry our cross. Um, and, and that's the heart of discipleship. Jesus said, you're going to follow me. You have to do these things. Um, you have to deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow me. Well, what does that look like in a, a, <laughs> a marriage that uh, of 50 years? You know, what well, it looks like something, but I don't know. I've been married 50 years, you know. What does it look like in in a workplace um, to to be annoyed with your coworkers constantly and die, die to yourself and carry your cross for the sake of Jesus? Um, it, I, I would imagine that there's a lot of people who have, um, no matter their age, has just, have just done church because it's a cultural thing to do. It, it's what happens in their social network, but they themselves, even though they might be 40, 50, 60, 70 years old, they've never owned their own faith. Um, and of course, again, um, taking that to all different areas of life is important. I, I, because COVID interrupted our midweek gatherings, we have not been able to gather. This last week was the first time as a ministry that we have met midweek since um, March of 2020. And so a lot of what we've done is taken our gathering, what we would have done, the lessons I would have taught, <laughs> And because we're, we don't, uh, our congregation is without a pulpit minister right now. Um, I've used those as sermon material. 
and I was speaking on vocation and someone in the all the almost well, it was an elder's wife um, who's been in church you know her whole life she said she had never ever heard uh, anyone teach on how our faith informs our work um, and so anyway so all, all those things I think are relevant no matter how old you are and I, and I'll just say also that um, if you if if you are um, you know again I don't know if there's uh, high-level engineers listening to this. I just think it's important that if, if you are engaging your mind with your work um, and you're, you're, you're pushing kind of the edges of, of human knowledge and, and doing very difficult cognitive tasks and you find yourself kind of bored with your faith, well, probably because you're not using that same drive with your faith. I mean, are you engaging your faith intellectually? Um, not, not to win debates, but just to, to wrestle with uh, Scripture, wrestle with what God's doing. Um, with your life. Um, so anyway, I, uh, I think that's an important thing too. Yeah, I, Mike, I think that's a great point. I, you know, it, it is one of those things that we don't, one, we, we don't talk about that really, right? It's, it's, we talk about making faith real, but it's all internal. It's not an external thing. It's not how faith shapes the, our thought processes going forward. It is how right. we lead toward faith and how we hold on to faith and as opposed to how that shapes our thought processes going well, forward and, and, and what we know, do and how what, we behave. But I was going to say that, that um, um, you know, one thing that Jim used to and, and really I think actually what you, what so you said and actually even what no matter, you do, no matter and, what, as a Christian, you know, even your predecessor, what he did as well was the same thing. It's like, all right, how does this, how great you have a faith. Now, where does that lead you? How does that change what you do at work? How does that, how does that lead you into real life thing? Have. That that is true. That truly, work, one of the, the things that, that COVID live, has done is it's kind of torn down some um, of these. What would, um, what would you do? I guess these uh, relics that we held on to as faith that be in church that we can go to and be a part of sitting in something, and that is called faith. And we've realized that, oh, that's that's not it. There's more to it, and and I love the way you put that that shapes our faith as well um I, I, yeah go ahead
Yeah. I, I think that's great. Yeah. I think it's a great point. helpful to kind of start to flesh out how a real life faith would change all those interactions you know if you had your still your same job but you were a secret missionary what would you do how would that change you know your interactions over coffee how you treat your subordinates how you talk to your yeah. boss um all those things yeah well mike i i want to you know we've been friends for a long time and I, again i consider you one of my my closest friends uh, we share a lot when we go on on those retreats together but I, um, I, I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful for the work that you do at Auburn. My prayer is that my kids get to go there one day and, 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 and get to experience your, uh, your leadership there. Um, which I probably wouldn't say that if we were on mic, but this is being recorded. So now, you know, it's true. Um, but I, I appreciate you talking about real life faith today and, Man. and, and kind of bringing, um, bringing probably a, a simple, but, a fresh perspective to, to people listening to this. And, and there probably will be some, some of those engineers you're talking about that are, that are, uh, sh shaping our future. Uh, there, there are some of those prob probably that are listening, but, um, well, and I hope that your kids come to Auburn and that you become a supporter right. financially the ministry. and anyone listening, right? Them. Yeah. That's, uh, there probably are some that are listening that probably are, but I, I want to thank you for coming on today. Um, yeah, you know, yeah. our, our stories are so important. I think that a part of, of what we try to do on this is to share our faith stories, fair, share our faith journeys and share our thought processes about faith. Because one of the place, the, one of the things that we don't do a great job of necessarily always in churches is being able to share our, our real life stories. So uh, we appreciate you coming on today. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we'd appreciate any, any feedback that anyone out there listening can give us. And on the Unbroken Jars podcast, you can leave those comments or feedback at unbrokenjars at gmail.com. And please understand that our goal is always to honor God by the experience of real life stories and real faith you hear on this podcast. May God bless your life as you live out your story of real faith in your own settings.